I, I was an athlete. I grew up in a locker room. That's where I learned to lead in a very physically present, emotional setting. All of my leadership skills came out of that environment. Everybody come here. We're going to have a conversation and we're going to talk. All of a sudden you end up online and that's just gone overnight. Suddenly in a remote world, it's process and system and information database. Like it's a way in which you distribute information and knowledge that's fundamentally different. We're, we're trying to figure it out still. Like we're hybrid now. I think we've done some good work around developing systems, but it is certainly a challenge. There are very few people in my life that I can look back on and be like, that's a true impact to the trajectory, to the, to the ups, to the downs, to the like knowing who you are as a person, knowing who you are as a businessman. And this conversation has been long, long overdue. Um, and so as always, Welcome back to the agency algorithm. You have your boy, Nick Shackleford, right-hand man, Joshua Johnson, and the one, the only Taylor Holiday, TH, uh, the legacy himself. Taylor, how are you, brother? I'm doing good, man. It's good to be back uh, and to catch up with you. I'm back like we were gone somewhere, but it, it, it has felt like a minute since we've sat down for a long conversation. So I'm stoked to be here. Uh, and thanks for having me, man. Not no stress. I think the, the timing of this is really, really great because there's been a lot of a lot of people trying to say like, where did you get your reps in from? Where are you building? Where is the culture? And this one specific tweet that I'm going to reference, and he's a good man. We both love him. His name is Sean Frank, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah. What agency has had the most successful alumni? And he, he listed some. He listed some goats of the agency space in relative times, right? Do you remember the? Do you remember the teams that he listed? Yep, Mute and Hawk. I think were the other two that he listed. And then he goes, other tell me. And, and I, and I looked yeah, at yeah. it and I'm, and I'm, I'm looking at the screenshot that we have right here and it's like almost 50% dropped down the common thread. And, and so I have to ask you of the alumni, like you didn't set out to build a company to let, let people literally leave. Maybe, maybe that's what it turned into be, but all of a sudden now you're, <laughs> yeah. you're producing top talent. How did you think about this? What is this? You know, it's funny. I, cause I think we've been talking and reflecting on that a lot. Uh, me and my partners and just the journey to get here. I think one of the things that we did early on was that we had to answer this really fundamental question when you start out as a tiny little business, which is why would anybody want to work here? And at the time, like we couldn't pay that much money. We had a crappy office at the top of a bakery, right? And we're in Orange County surrounded by the Googles and the Stances and the Hurleys and the, all the coolest offices. So why would talented people kind of want to work here? And the answer we came up with was this idea that we thought we could care more about people than anybody else. And that, like, that sounds yeah. great. That feels like, oh, my values are honesty and integrity. But it was, but we really challenged ourselves to like put it into practice. And so we came up with this premise that we called "Tell Me Your Dreams," which became this like integral cultural pillar inside of CTC. And the idea was, yeah. we would sit with you and ask what you wanted out of your life, and that we were committed to investing in helping you get it. And so we knew that for many people, agency is sort of a transient career. It just there's not many people that show up to an agency and are like, this is it, 20 years. This is what I'm looking to yep. do. You know, it's just not, yep. it's, it's a media buying is a microwave profession, I call it. Like nobody went to school for six years to be a media buyer. You watched YouTube for 60 minutes to be a media buyer, right? Like, and so it's a, it's a transient group of people. And so we were committed to helping be a, a trampoline or a stepping stone on their journey. Um, and I think that just got sewn into the fabric of the culture and it attracted people who were looking to get those reps and develop and become entrepreneurs, much like you, Nick, right? And so yeah. I think uh, I think early on, it was a solution to recruiting <laughs> that sort of in some ways might've backfired into sort of sending so many people out, but that just became the culture. Uh, 
of we were going to be a development place. We were going to be a place that really poured into people. And then as entrepreneurs could never try and suffocate them from going to do their own thing. And so we shipped them off and celebrated when they left. Just like the party we threw you, you know, the day you yep. Oh my I God, I do, I do remember that, Josh. I think you, Josh, you and I were talking about this stuff earlier. It's crazy to think about this, isn't it? Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, Taylor, when someone like Nick Shackelford comes into your office, when someone like Savannah Sanchez comes into your office and lays that news on you of like, hey, listen, it's been great, but I'm out of here. Uh, what, yeah. is that like, what is that gut feeling like? Uh, is it something where you're like, you know, I'm sure at the time maybe it's a little bit stressful, but uh, I'm just kind of curious, like when someone walks into your office and they're kind of giving you that that bad news, what's what's kind of the the things that are running through your head? Yeah, I mean, every scenario is so, so different, right? Like Nick and I talked a lot. I remember a dinner that we had together at Mastro's one time and just like sitting and talking about the future. And it was all like Nick, Nick and I always had a, a like a, Nick always had a thousand things going on. And so it was always a question of like, hey, man. Where's your attention? Where's your focus right now? And so we would be in constant dialogue about that. And so I appreciated the way that he went about it in terms of consistent transparency of where he was at in his own journey and what we needed from him and when those things may or may not diverge. Um, and so in some cases, I think people handle it really, really well and there's ongoing communication and you're not surprised, right? And I think that's ideal for both, yeah. both sides. And then there's cases where it's a little different, where it feels like the parting of ways is less... Um, sort of symbiotic in, in, in the way that it occurs. But early on in my career, <laughs> not to get too deep right off the bat here, but like, uh, I don't have, like abandonment is a sort of issue of mine that goes deeper than just anything in the workplace. It goes into my personal life. And so I early on felt like every employee that left CTC was leaving me. And that was, that was yeah. the thing I had to learn to process yeah. that like, actually, no, it very rarely is that. This is about them and their personal journey. And I think over the course of 12 years of running a human service business, you begin to have an appreciation that the reality is that every employee and organization serve each other for a season and you can celebrate that season. And then when it's time to go their separate ways, we can continue to celebrate that as well. Um, and so I, I've come to really work through a lot of that, the hardship that was feeling really uh, left behind as people would make that decision. And it's just, just a process. This, this to me was like really interesting, especially because when reflecting back on that group that you were incubating, coaching, bringing along, like there's a lot of people that yeah. even to this day, like I can reference specific scenarios that we were doing in person. And when, yep. when we all got hit with what we got hit with, right? We all were like, well, we're remote. This is what we got. And, and even now, like, dude, the, the people that who, if you don't mind me sharing who has your office currently yeah. is is a cultural phenomenon group. It's the Nelk Boys. Yeah. It's totally, like the Nelk totally. Boys literally are in, in yeah, the, yeah. the dopest office ever. And so I go sit yeah. back and I think about it. I'm like, dude, that was awesome. How how have you as a leader of of, of someone who has a very job uh Steve Jobs aura impact that I believe <laughs> that you have and I've yeah. I, I was a witness to this I experienced this. How do you do this? How do you do this online? And I I don't need you to go super tactical no. or like here's what the app I use, but like you're thinking about no, it no. as the lead of this. Dude, it's, I mean, yeah, it, it is the biggest challenge of my leadership career because like you, wow. Nick, I grew up, I was an athlete. I was an athlete. I grew up in a locker room. That's where I learned to lead, right? I learned to lead in a very physically present, emotional setting, right? Yes, and so yes, all yes, of yes. my leadership skills came out of that environment. And so if you think about that, that's great in an office, 
everybody come here. We're going to have a conversation and we're going to talk and like I can rah-rah the team through momentum. And that, that's a lot of my style. Well, all of a sudden you end up online and that's just gone overnight. And the way I, I often describe it is I felt like I was being asked to lead with my right hand tied behind my back. Like my best skill was taken away from me in that environment. Yeah. And suddenly in a remote world, it's process and system and information database. Like it's a way in which you distribute information and knowledge that's fundamentally different that we were really underdeveloped on because so much of our knowledge transfer was tribal. It wasn't uh, documented and structured, right? It was that you came and you worked next to Nick and you listened to him or you sat with Luke and Ali and whoever and yeah. you absorbed knowledge in the environment, right? Um, and so it's been a really big challenge, so much so that we're back here, right? Like I'm, I'm back in a physical place <laughs> because I think that um, one is just personally as an extrovert, I grieved the space. It was like good for my soul, you know, um, and I missed it. So we're, we're trying to figure it out still. Like we're hybrid now. I think we've done some good work around developing systems, but it is certainly a challenge, man. Certainly a challenge. I mean, look, I'll share this with you too. Like when, when, when I left and I started doing the online thing, I felt I was like, we kept, we kept gratitude call. We, we, this, there's, yeah. there's core elements that I remember every Monday we used to sit yeah. in the office and we would talk like, what are you grateful for? And then chips on Friday. Chips is when you give yep. someone gratitude or thankfulness for what they've helped you or been a part of. We took that. That was like a thing that we did every single call uh, as structured. And I all of a sudden went to, I remember I saw it. It was, it was the weirdest feeling. It was de literally deteriorating right in front of my eyes. Because I go, wait, this call was 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, an hour, 30 minutes. And we're looking like, dude, we, we just blew our whole Monday start. Yeah. And then when I, yeah. I remember I, I got these words from from the rest of the team, they're like, look, Shaq, we love this. This is awesome. I can't blow an hour and 30 minutes throughout multiple right. time zones. And I was like, oh, no, no way. And these, this is the thing that we try to, as you know, like I'm always looking for my locker room. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yep. And when you're trying to build right. this way and you're trying to do in-person experiences and events, this is why I loved doing events so much because you get that. Yep. There's nothing that, that changes once you get in person to me. And I find I find now we're having to, and look, at, at Common, we had processes. We had the people. We had Caitlin. We had Adrian. Uh, we had Adriana. We had all the people that were like loving and doing those things. But like you said, it was still super important to be over the shoulder to check on things. Do you, did yeah. you change the way you were hiring employees because now you could hire anybody but were you looking at different traits as they're coming in on the full remote common yeah God, that's a great question i i think that we i put out a tweet a little bit ago that i really believe one of the things i've come to believe is that remote work is a skill um that it's not <laughs> something you just have like because it requires really uh detailed time management you have to be able to block out boundaries and create space for yourself that works amidst like my home life, I have three little kids. Uh, there's always something going on there. If I'm in that environment, what's it, what it demands of me is different than when I'm here. Um, yeah. Now, there's different challenges in an office too, but I think we should have done, so this is less about what we did and more about what we should have done, which was we should have qualified that skill more. Um, we should have sure. uh, asked people about their experience working from home and whether that was something that would be satisfying to them versus assuming that everybody could do it or that it would be rewarding to everybody. That's one thing I've, I, I, I reflect on a lot. But the thing about us, like I, I would say that, so Paniota, who you know obviously well, that ran yeah. what we called our debt department or HR for a long time, is that the part of CTC that was probably the best developed was actually our hiring and onboarding processes uh, into the organizational premises 
where the bigger issues lied was on the role specific training and development. That's where it was much more tribal and institutional than documented. I'd say like getting into the CTC system and being recruited into it was actually really, it was like, people would always be like, man, I'm blown away by your onboarding process. But it was like that the first 30 days were like magic. And then it was like, all of a sudden now I'm alone in a room on a call with a customer being asked to deliver this really high bar of service. And I feel like I need some more support. And so I think that's yeah. where we actually discovered more of the gap was um, after the onboarding mechanism, you know? Yeah, 100%. Are there... I'm curious, you mentioned that there were certain things that you learned that really didn't work well within the agency. Yeah. I'm I'm curious to hear a little bit more, if, if you can share some of those specificities on things that you tried to implement that you're like, ooh, maybe that wasn't wasn't the best move, uh, especially going well, into a remote culture. Yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest things I learned was that um, culture creation in a remote world is far less top-down distribution. Um, so it, again, going back to even the example you gave, Nick, which is like all hands meetings or Monday and Friday meetings, they're, they're actually like, I think they're terrible in a, in a remote <laughs> setting. They're an hour with some Zoom boxes off, people sort of paying attention. It's just, it's a lot harder to create the value. And so what I found was really difficult was to push change or culture top down. And so we, what we started to think about was how do we sort of... Uh, the metaphor that I had a coach sort of work with me on, it was this idea that if you drew your org chart, okay, um, and you thought about the saturation of every value or idea that you want inside of the organization as like a heat map, okay? So mm -hmm. let's say you had a value, like one of our values is candor with kindness, right? It's this idea that like you give honest feedback with respect and integrity or respect and value for the other person. So now imagine, just like you would a heat map on a web page, imagine your org chart reflecting how saturated that value is across the organization. And inevitably, there'd be some hot pocket where it's really done well, and then other pockets where it's cold and it's isolated. And so then rather than trying to affect everybody all at once, we wanted to try and think about inserting hot coals that would saturate the idea into different parts of the organization, and then try and go affect those coals so that they would affect the people around them. And so <laughs> in a remote world, what I found is it's a lot more sub-communities, and part of this had to do with our size too. Yeah. It's a lot more sub-communities than it is a singular community. Um, it just isn't one thing. The experience of CTC became a hundred different things, way more than in an office where it's like the, the, the experience is much more singular. In a remote world, it comes down to who your teammates are, who your customers are, and who your manager are. And that subculture is actually much more the experience of the organization than the whole thing. This is, this is another, you guys are all witnessing exactly why this man was able to lead and, and build and, and continue to grow. And we're going to take a quick little break because there's one specific question that he just teed us up for. And it was actually from a LinkedIn post <laughs> seven years ago, a seven year old LinkedIn wow. post that T that we dug in on, but it's very relevant. Okay. So give us, give us two seconds. We're going to hear us from, from our, from our partners that allow us to have great conversations like this. Hey, I also want to tell you guys about uh, our other company called constant creative with two K's. Um, and if you're looking for on-demand editing at any time all around the world at a rate that makes total sense, you guys can find us at constantcreative.com. Okay, so we are back. And this question, it was actually a perfect tee up. And I'm, I'm not going to, Josh, do you mind if I jump in? Do you want to run this or can I kind of get into it. this No, one? run it, run it. Okay. <clears throat> awesome, awesome question. So he goes, how you, it's, it's, it's kind of funny now that we're all reflecting on this. Yeah, I have no idea where this yeah. is going. Seven years ago, you you were literally posted like, 
you literally hate agencies and now you run one. If you were to <laughs> yeah. reflect back on the agency and look, dude, 70 years ago, this is a, you'd be like 45 at that time or maybe 55 because you're getting up there on this, right? So wait, wait, think about this. Is 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 the CTC uh, season, what season is CTC in now? Yeah. Huh. That's a great question. I, I, I actually feel like we, so I, we're actually going through a rebrand right now where we're going to like redesign the, vis the visual aesthetic of CTC and like have a new mission statement, new vision statement. And oh, so wow. it's really, we're at it. We're at a, what I'm calling CTC 2.0. Like it's the first decade is sort of over. And I think what we are, we're almost in a rebuilding phase right now. Like we're building again, like the, the last journey of everything that we did, like the diff department, TMYD, all these legacy pillars that got us through the first 10 years, like we're moving into a very different thing now. And it really, um, I, what I, the, the primary problem to solve In now years. is how, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy, right? It's a huge, huge transition, but the problem to solve now is can you deliver excellence at scale, right? It's how, how do you take ideology and institutional knowledge and deliver it effectively at every end node of the system. And any any agency owner or, or business owner that gets to, you know, especially in the human service business, up to 100, 150 employees, like you start to realize that you get really far from the end interaction in the work, right? Yeah. And so the sort of infrastructure of the system and how well the institutional knowledge gets transferred through people is an immense challenge. And I think that is really the next sort of frontier of problem solving for me is that it's one thing to be able to do the work yourself, to be able to get in a Facebook ad account, know how to solve a problem. It's another to get 150 people to act consistently at a level of excellence that is consistent with the promise that you're making in the sales and marketing process consistently. And that's, that's the next frontier, right? Is to figure out, are you going to make it into that, you know, the W promote the, like the four to 500 person tier, like are you going to get there? Well, it's going to deter it's going to be determined by your ability to deliver excellence at scale. And I think that's a lot of what we're trying to solve for. And while building on top of a legacy, like it's funny, Nick, you and I have a tweet thread where we were announcing you coming to do a webinar and an admission. And somebody that this actually prompted my rebrand was somebody wrote in that thread, CTC is becoming the Harvard for agencies. And so I, I, I took this and I went down this roadmap for a really long time of like, okay, like, what is he saying? And a lot of it's what we started with today. There's a legacy yeah. of people come here to learn and develop and go on to do awesome things. But there's Harvard's more than that. It's an institution of excellent research. It's the best quality education. Um, there's the best teachers in the world. Like, and so we're sort of building on top of this idea that, you know, we're not the new startup anymore. We've been around for 10 years and a long time. And we have a legacy and history of doing work and, you know, all these uh, an alumni network, all these things that we care about. And so, um, yeah, we're trying to sort of reimagine what does it look like to sow excellence into every piece of the organization. There's one of your mentors, by the way. That is the legend, right. the legend yourself. This is so, T, it's so funny that you bring this up because, wow, there's a lot to unpack. It's, it's, in, it's important yeah, yeah. for me to understand. It's important for me to understand and reference this because the more, the more, it pulls me. So there's a, there's an agency that just got acquired. Uh, it's public knowledge, so it's nothing. I'm not giving away anything. It's called Ant Push, Jesse, right? Jesse on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, I know Jesse well. Acquired. Yeah. So he got acquired by Tenuity and and Nee, which is one of the leads over there on the strategy side. And I and I and I was you know bounce ideas off. I'm like, yo, we're growing. Here's our EBITDA. Here's what we got. And I asked him, I was like, what what? Why is this interesting to you, dude? Because I'm I'm hearing mumbles and grumbles of what this number went for. 
and yeah, I don't see, I don't see it, dude. What am I, what am I not seeing? And he, he told me this in, incredible story of, uh, what, uh, what happens like at McKinsey and Vane, these, these incredible yeah. high, high intelligent individuals get hired to go into companies, do consulting work, fix things, do things, whatever it is that they are, are hired to do that project base. And then he goes, guess what happens when, um, new companies come out and, and people need, uh, C-suite people, C-suite executioner, guess where they, guess where they go poach and get from? They get the McKinsey's, right. right? They yeah. go get these incredible executors and guess what these executors do? They come back and they hire McKinsey. And so he was telling me like this, this network of, of people are basically feeding each other throughout the years with different business, different employees, different relationships. And he goes like, that's extremely valuable. And I look at this and yep. I see where you've been able to place executors and agencies and executors and brands. And those are yep. those are the perfect example. There's a head of growth at Element, LMNT, which is uh, from yeah. Blank and Jose right now. And, and he jumped on a call to me. He's like, hey, we're looking for a potential email. I was like, he goes, yeah, I know you from Common. I'm like, what do you, oh my God, no way. And so every time I jump on a call, there's yeah. another potential there. And that's what's crazy that you're going down this path because it actually is, it's not a, I wouldn't even say it's a rebrand. I would say it's more stepping into the the current personality, the growth that you guys have been able that's to right. be into, which is crazy. And really owning it. And owning that, it's funny, you know, Garrett. Like, so you know we, how we work in growth teams, right? Nick? Like, Garrett, yeah. four of it, like all of his points of contact now at the brands he's working at are former CTC people. No, <laughs> it's like it's like it's literally like and, Andy's over at Igloo and Sarah's at Olica. You know, it's like it's just uh, at this point it is. It's like this crazy proliferation. And Carlos, who's at, at Element, like, yeah, yeah, just, it's Carlos. And, and so that that leg. So that legacy. So my, my question is like, okay, well, how do we lean into that and continue to develop it? And then how do we create opportunities such that there are some people who want to see themselves not as the operator, but as the educator? And so this sort of idea of one of the things we're trying to breed into CDC is that I really believe that as a service provider, one of your fundamental jobs is education. And so we're really trying to get people to see themselves as being responsible for knowledge transfer to the customer, to their peers, you know, in mission, in all these different places as like, the core ethos of who we are is educational. We are here yes. to educate people, not just provide a service. Because the reality is people need to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it and how that informs the methodology. And so, um, yeah, so we want to be able to think about this. You either come, you develop the skill, and you do. You are an operator. That's who you are and what you want to go do. And so you probably head off the brand side or start your own thing. Or you see yourself as an educator and you become part of the faculty, so to speak. You become part of the people responsible for building the next generation. And so yeah. that's a lot of uh, sort of the, the way we want to build that. Yeah, It's sort of built on top of it, like you're saying, systemically. 100%. Uh, one quick question that I had specifically about something that you said a little bit earlier in this conversation was that you guys are getting back into building mode at CDC. Yeah. You guys are getting back yeah. into scaling mode at CDC. How has your perception of scaling and growth changed since you guys started CDC. So it's been a 10-year gap. I'm just curious uh, to hear yeah. how things have changed for you and how you look at Go growth on. differently now compared to when, uh, That's a when great you guys question. were in growth mode before. I, I I have, you know, one of the things about getting old is that you live through more things, right? So like, though, the thing I didn't understand about the environment that we are in, and I substantially underappreciated, is how much the surrounding macroeconomic environment informs how you think about growth, right? Like, we've never, we had never been through any recessionary period, any moment of resistance. It was basically 10 years of up and to the right, everything was working for the most part, right? Like, of course, there were challenges along the way, but in terms of like 
macroeconomic headwinds where suddenly people, when they said growth, didn't mean revenue <laughs> and they had to go out and produce cash flow and EBITDA. And like, it just becomes a very different, it's a word that suddenly means something very different. And now having been through that, I think I have much more of a, a sense for how I should behave in each environment. And one of the things that I think I missed, um, and I think if we watch some of our peers maybe be more aggressive about this, is that I think in the environment where capital was free, I should have been more aggressive in that environment. And I think I was acting too much like a bootstrapper all along the way. And so I think learning about what does each environment and the access to capital mean about the right business strategy is something that I think I reflect on a lot more now. And I think it's actually makes us more built for this environment than the previous one. Um, is that I think I missed some of the ways I should have led and should have made decisions in the last environment. I think we're actually better suited for this one. This is what's crazy is like, you're talking about up and to the right and something that I, and yeah. man, we are, I say we as like a common thread forward, the ability yeah, yeah. to to share and showcase what's happening in a, in a non, like there's different ways. It's it's a braggadocious way, but it doesn't come across as sure. like, why are you doing that? Because what's really difficult for other agencies and the people that are listening to this is how like how do I get my early wins and hits? And we, do we can go down the list yeah. of where we got all of our hits and the the logos on the page? You guys were so yeah. good at creating content and creating, and a lot of this was look, it was good, and then all of a sudden Aaron came in, and then it went to another level. Then yeah. Aaron went on to do what he needed yeah. to do. Is this area yeah. of sharing? From the blog side, from the podcast side, it's been intentional from day one. Yes, it it has. It's funny because so Corey, who was my first employee, our first job, like or the early work of CTC, was like doing all sorts of random stuff. But one of the things we would do is like we would run a, a blog for a brand called Elo Shield, and so we would build this like sports themed blog of just like sharing memes. Like we've always loved the internet, and I would yeah. say more than any agency, like I got my inspiration from like barstool sports as much as. Like we just loved internet culture and we loved the idea of publishing content. Um, and we sort of always wanted to be as much that as anything else. And so I think that from early on, what we developed was a habit. We had a habit of sharing. And then you're right, Aaron and others along the way have certainly given that a sophistication, but we had, we always had the habit. And then I think, you know, adding, there was always like, you know, you came into the culture and you were somebody that was always very public about it. You know, Sav was super into into it when we gave her that platform and uh, Grant with admission bringing that idea to us. And so it was always like there were just people there that their passion was to take what they knew and share their knowledge. And it just it was always woven into the fabric of what we did from the very, very early days. This and even with us right now, like we're thinking about what does outbound look like? What does inbound look like with Peter on yeah. the sales side of things? We and we have to think about the structure, like strategically, like if you look at where, and I'll reflect back on our current situation, we have constant creative, like an on-demand editing tool, right? It's not the same, but it does still feed. Yep. Yep. You guys have Statless. You guys have, um, it's not just Statless. There's another one where you're kind of sharing. The DTC index and things like that. The, yeah. Exactly. The, yeah. This yep. ecosystem of like, how do we grab leads and interest? And, and you have the podcast, which we'll, we'll talk yep. about towards towards the end of things. That that has yep. been intentional because now you're not having to be like, oh my gosh, I have to be really focused on paying for ads or paying for leads because there's a time that we need to do this because of growth. We we think about it as like, how much content can we produce on LinkedIn and on Twitter because that's where we have to get at. And it's is this yeah. 
where you sit down every single week and you're like, okay, I got to create. Or you go like, no, I, I feel this has just happened. For instance, you talked about the most recent, the LeBron James, where he just broke the record. Yep. And you yep. did a great little highlight of the individual that was just soaking the moment. That's relative. <laughs> How do you tie yeah. that back in? Yeah. 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 So it's funny. I, two things. One is now I have a commitment to an output of content. Like our, our, so like every day, all day Wednesday is my content day. So I, I make, I write yeah. most of my tweets for the week. I write all my LinkedIn posts. Like, and I, I have an obligation because the organization's a certain size that you need a predictability to the interactions. Otherwise it becomes very dangerous, right? Like when you have, you know, your, your, when your payroll gets up upwards of a million bucks a month, you start going like, oh, well, we can't just sort of wait and see if leads come in. You have to get a little bit more systemic about it, you know? So, um, so I think that, I think that that's been part of the, just the maturing process of a business. Whereas before it was sort of a free for all, like we would just sort of do it as we felt, but then you get an obligation to a little bit more of a rhythm. I will say though, that like, you know, it's funny. I, a lot of the other agency owners that I've become friends with, they like, like content marketing is like a sexy thing. Like it looks cool, but I don't know that I would recommend it as the best way to build a consistent lead funnel. Like it's actually very, very challenging, right? Versus outbound systems that I think some, some of our peers have done really, really well in ways oh, yeah. that are probably different than what we've done that I think sometimes I'm envious of, of or like, you know, I, so I think that there are ways, even Jesse at Ampush and I talked about this a lot. He's got a really fun like LinkedIn outbound funnel that he runs through his page with growth assist. And it's like all these different ways that people have built systems to generate their leads. They all just kind of flow out of who you are and what you know, and you sort of compoundingly build on top of that. But I do think that like having a blend of outbound and inbound is certainly um, a useful exercise because the, the the challenge with the content thing is every piece is so variable, like in terms of its impact, that it's hard to know exactly which one's going to hit and produce the interaction that leads to a bunch of traction. And so it's a less predictable system uh, I have found than maybe sort of the, I'm going to send 5,000 messages and every one of them gets 120 opens and every one of those 120 opens leads to this many SQLs, leads to this many appointments, leads to like, you can develop a really refined system when the message is the same every time because you can get a sense of the response rate to that message. But every time you yeah. create a piece of content, it's a new message. And so predicting the response is actually a lot more challenging. You're preaching the choir, especially where someone who likes to create off the cuff or has to be very like systemized around it. Whereas you guys yep. are, common thread is the brand and then you have your people beneath yep. the brand. And remember we used to talk about this, even at Structure, we're like, okay, who are we trying to, who are we trying to go and, and focus and see what we can build we tried to do the blog post and then we looked at ourselves like, that's not our skill. We yeah. don't have that yet. Yeah. We have personal yeah. brands that drive the brand. So it's more of like, it's a, it's a layer of Jake, a layer of Chase, layer of Tim, layer of Nick. Yep. And then how do we drive destructured yep. and then of the structure, what are the services? And I think as yep. agency owners, someone someone that's thinking about this going, hey, and, and Josh, you, you talk about this all the time to your people. You're like, you have to be creating and you have to be top of mind. This is why you do the events. This is why you jump on stage. This is why you're is you're you're in the room or hosting dinners, et cetera. And I think that's that's an area that all of us can get better, especially now as the world's opening up. Like we just got back from the Whaley's and we're sitting here talking about it. And there's X brand and X agency and Xs. And you're like, I haven't seen that person forever, but I'm glad that I'm glad I saw them. And now that all of a sudden they're top of mind. And I think you guys have done such a good job about that. And especially because, and I'm interested to see what the rebrand looks like because sports and Ute are like it's, yeah, that's that's that thing, right? Yeah, and that's, yeah. I even did a post on 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 Twitter the other day, and I was like, "How many former athletes, professional, male, female?" And it blew up, and I was like, 
Dude, yeah, we got to do something. This is this is crazy. And even even if I looked at like when when you were drafted six hundred and fourth from the from the Yankees, <laughs> hundred and thirty at bats. Was there was there one like we've done a lot of reflection? I'm going to take you way back. Was there an at bat yeah. where you're like, this one still sticks to me? Yeah, it's the one that was the end. Like I so oh. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a, a oh, five no. nine. I'm a five nine uh, white kid that uh, was never the most physically uh, impressive athlete, and I got a lot. I like to say I got a lot of my body to get as far as I did. But there was a moment, and I remember I was facing Madison Baumgartner, okay, in in Savannah, Georgia, and I remember after my at bat, I was like, "Yeah, this is the end for me." Like, there's just this guy. If wow. that's what this is, like. I have reached the threshold where I'm not going any further than that. I remember playing against him and like Jason Hayward, I would play against all the time. And he's like six, four chiseled out of rock. And I remember looking on the field and being like, yeah, those guys, I'm not, that's not me. And so I think those, that moment towards the end is really what sticks out to me of realizing like, okay, I've reached the threshold here. It's time. It's time to find a new career. I love that. This kills me. It's incredible. Do you think now with, uh, as, as we've, well, I know, I know. We'll, we'll we'll wrap this up. We're almost at the end of the stuff, but even spending time with the uh, the boys and the daughter, in sports, is that like as you're starting to see them come into, you're like, God, please just be a little bit taller yeah. than me. Please just have a little bit more muscle than me. Please just, <laughs> please just, please just, please have this something else. Or are you starting to see like, oh, that's how yeah. I was back in the day. You know, it's so funny, man. Because so my boys are twins, right? And my wife and I will talk a lot about that. We think it's a gift because um, having twins that you raise that are fundamentally different human beings it gives you this freedom to realize that like some of it is just intrinsic like it's some of it's just who they are and like one of my boys is hyper competitive and one is sort of like whatever like he just kind of he likes it but like it's just not the core driving motivation of his life and um i don't know why i don't know what the difference is and it doesn't necessarily mean that either of them are better at their thing they just have very different dispositions and so i think as a dad I'm trying to, and, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm coaching their little league team this year and trying to have as much fun with it as we can. But I'm also trying to really give space to a different path, like to not assume that mine was the best one, you know, like, and, and to offer them what I have to, what I have to give. And like, I loved my experience, but I don't know that that's going to be theirs. And, and so really trying to get a sense of what they love and what they're passionate about, but also push them, but also figure, you know, like, so. It's a, it's a dance, man, and I, I'm just excited to to watch them become whatever it is that they they want to be. Um, I cannot wait to to start that journey and 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 come to you with the questions that I know I'll have. And 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 being a, a strong man, a good man, a good businessman, I I've learned a lot from you, and I'm so grateful for from so Thanks, grateful man. for you. You call it comma thread 2.0, but I would be like, dude, you guys have gone crazy. But the yeah. next, let's say the next gen, how would you say the next century of what you guys are about yeah. to go through? I'm excited. yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. I, I, likewise, I, I you have a lot to be proud of too, Nick. So I just, I, it's been fun to watch you go and be you. And we used to joke a lot. There was a moment, can I share an embarrassing story about you, Nick? Is that okay? Nick and I got into a fight once because we were in a meeting and we were talking about sort of how we wanted the media buy. And in, in sort of very CTC fashion, it was very like, do nothing, let the machines work it out. And I remember Nick saying in the meeting, like, but then what am I going to talk about on stage? And, uh, I remember having this meeting with him after of like, Nick, this is not about developing the material for your stage presence. <laughs> but but I think what Nick has always wanted to do and what I've come to know is like his heart is genuinely to bring 
novelty, delight, and excitement to as many people as possible. And so I, I go about my content as being the contrarian, a little sort of edgy and push people. And Nick, you've done an incredible job of just being like everybody's best friend and really caring about a lot of humans. And I think you're in your sweet spot. You know, every time I see you do an event, I text you and I'm like, hey, that's your, that's your home. It's cool to see you there. Uh, and uh, I'm just proud to, proud to have played a little bit of role in it. I, I, I love that, man. I, and I, I truly love you from the bottom of my heart. I'm excited to, to support you. Let's go. Give me, give me, I would love to know the podcast name and then I would not want to know where we can get a hold of you because yeah. I am going to get you out to a couple of geek, uh, geek outs this year. Yeah. I know the last one I was bummed. It got, it got, got canceled. We'll get that fixed. Um, yeah. So uh, e-commerce playbook is the podcast. Um, yeah. Me and Richard Gaffin are, are doing that every week. So we'd love to have you come check us out there. And then the easiest way is I'm at Taylor Holiday on Twitter. My DMs are open. Uh, fire at me and would love to chat if I can offer any assistance. If you're an agency owner, uh, if you're at an agency and you want to sort of talk career advice, or if you're a brand and want to jam, I'm always here and down for uh, for the conversation. Beautiful. Thank you, TH. Joshua, great to see you as always, my brother. We'll catch you guys next time on the Agency Algorithm. And you know where to find us. We're on the Shopify's. Actually, we're not, we're not on Shopify yet, but we're on the Spotify's. We're on Apple <laughs> iTunes. We're all over the place. Um, appreciate you guys. See you guys next week.